KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. On Friday morning, June 24th, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, removing federal protection of the right to an abortion. Now it's up to the states. So, to understand what that could look like and what it means right now, Matt Leon spoke with Rachel Rebuchet, interim dean of Temple University's Beasley School of Law and the James E. Beasley Professor of Law, on our sister podcast, KYW News Radio In Depth. She answered a lot of questions that are on everyone's minds right now. So, instead of our usual John cast, we're going to let you hear that full interview today. Here's Matt Leon. So, to start, most people figured this was coming. What are what's just your reaction? I think that's right. I think that people are not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um, but, you know, I think it is stunning. And I think it's stunning in the sense that even knowing that this day would come now, now it's here. And as of today uh, and in the weeks that follow, state law is going to change and the landscape of uh, the country's abortion law will change. And that's something. <laughs> Can you guess, give us a quick background on what the, the actual case was of Dobbs versus Jackson that brought this to the to the forefront? Sure. So um, Mississippi passed a law that banned abortion after 15 weeks, and that is before viability. Under prior Supreme Court precedent, which has now been overruled, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, those cases have been interpreted to have a constitutional bar of states banning abortion, so completely prohibiting it before viability. Uh, Dobbs is a case that asks the question, is a pre-viability ban per se unconstitutional? And the Supreme Court today has answered that question by saying not just that no, pre-viability bans are not per se unconstitutional, but also the rule that established the constitutional interpretation that established the pre-viability rule is now overturned. Uh, we no longer recognize the Constitution as providing protection for abortion rights, at least before viability. I've heard other people talk about this, and I, this is the first time that a right's ever been taken away that I can think of, right? Well, there. I mean, the Supreme Court has overturned precedent before, um, but I think in our contemporary Contemporary constitutional uh, jurisprudence, this is certainly uh, the the most stark example of the effects of precedent being overturned. Uh, so I, I do think it is, uh, I don't think it is the only time we've seen it, but I do think that at least as a, in a, in our, in our modern, in modern times, that this is one of the, the decisions of the court that is going to have profound ripple effects across the country. As, so, of, as other other country as other other cases do as well. I'm not to minimize any of the cases that have been decided in, in this term or in or in other terms. So basically, this means that abortion reverts to the states. So now we're going to have a patchwork of where abortion is legal, where it is not, the level of illegality. I guess. I mean, it's life has completely changed for millions of women. It's definitely going to be a patchwork. It's definitely going to affect lots and lots of people's lives. Um, we think that 
Uh, it's the estimate is that 26 states have indicated their intention to ban almost all abortion if Roe is overturned. Uh, Missouri is already is already in action and probably will be the first state to uh, ban abortion post Dobbs. Um, you know, some of those some of those laws will take effect uh, more immediately. Some will take 30 days. Some will take months. But um, the the landscape for abortion laws is, is really going to change in dramatic ways. Uh, and then, of course, the other half of the country um, is either proactively protecting abortion rights within their borders, uh, protecting patients who travel to the states, protecting the providers that provide legal abortions within uh, the state. Um, and, and then there's a cohort of states that are not going to rush to ban abortion, uh, but they are going, they're not going to rush to repeal any of their existing restrictions. I mentioned earlier that we expected this to be coming, and the big reason why was there was a leaked draft of a Justice Alito opinion on this that basically said this. And I know we were talking before, you haven't had a chance to really dig in and go side by side. But does it seem like pretty much, you know, what was leaked is what we're seeing? From my initial read, and I, I will spend more time this evening reading the text much more closely, but from my initial read, the main arguments, the main components of the lead draft appear in the final opinion. Uh, that is an interpretation of history and text that supports uh, the, uh, the conclusion that the Constitution does not offer protection for abortion rights. The five factors that the court thought about in overturning precedent, I've thought a lot about since the leaked draft, the, the court's emphasis on that Roe and Casey were uh, wrongly decided, that the quality of the argument was poor and misguided, that the tests they announced were not workable, uh, that there was not a reliance interest on them. So the, a number of different uh, things that the court considers when it overturns a precedent like Roe. Um, those, that, that argument is still there. So yeah, I think it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it tracks the leak draft pretty closely. Uh, we were also talking beforehand, you actually were uh, one of the authors on an article that was cited in the dissent. Am I correct? That's right. Kind of talk about what that article was and kind of then kind of what it was like to see it in the dissent for something like this. <laughs> I, I did not expect it. <laughs> I did not expect that at all. But it's an article I uh, co-authored with two wonderful law professors and colleagues, David Cohen, who's at Drexel, and Greer Donnelly, who's at Pitt. So go Pennsylvania law profs. <laughs> um, and we wrote, we wrote the article to try to map what are going to be the interstate and the interjurisdictional conflicts that, are, that will come after Roe is overturned. And our, our idea, our thesis is that uh, there's a lot of conversation, and you see it in the Justice Alito's draft, that Roe and Casey were unworkable. They produced excessive litigation. The tests were hard to apply. They were fact-dependent. It led to inconsistent judgments. Um, the implication that it, it deepened the debate, uh, Roe deepened the debate around abortion uh, and the litigation after it. Uh, but you know, one of the things that we took up in this Law Review article was just that idea that somehow returning abortion law to the states would make the field less complicated. Um, and we argue that whatever you think about abortion, 
it's going to become very clear quickly that the field is not going to get less complicated. It's going to get more complicated because of the patchwork legality, because of travel. Um, and we map out what we think will happen next um, in, a, you know, what states uh, are legislating their own abortion laws. Uh, and that's what the dissent cites uh, to suggest that um, the, the questions that follow about what states can and can't do um, are, are not clear cut. And, um, and there, and there are going to be consequences, uh, for people as they seek to travel, as they seek out, uh, telehealth services for early abortion that, uh, no one has answered yet. One of the things that I think it's important for people to understand is in these states that are going kind of full throttle and expect it to ban completely, that will not stop abortions. It will just stop safe abortions. Am I being, am I correct there? So I, you know, I think um, if pre-Roe is any um, lesson, offers any lessons, it's that criminal abortion laws, or frankly, uh, lessons from other countries where abortion is illegal. Those countries still have it still have, but you know, significant abortion rates and people are still terminating pregnancies um, outside of the law. Um, and and then we saw that before Roe v. Wade was decided. But unlike before Roe v. Wade, at least for people with who are seeking to end pregnancies early in their pregnancy for 10 or so weeks, you were able to do that through pills. Uh, medication abortion is a two-drug regimen that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has approved through 10 weeks of pregnancy. You know, it's something that now is offered through telehealth. You can have an online appointment with a provider who then can mail you those pills in a state where it's legal to do so. And I bring that up to suggest that there are organizations like Aid Access that work with out-of-country providers and pharmacies uh, that, in, in essence, assist people to order medication abortion on their own, wherever they live. Uh, now, those circumvent these state bans, but they're not necessarily resulting in unsafe abortions. Um, certainly, people need information and they need to know, you know, how to take these pills, but it's not like pre-row where people were administering, you know, uh, the kind of the back alley abortion. It's a different landscape for abortion care, uh, at least for early abortion care. Later in pregnancy, that's, that's going to require a procedure and you'll either have to, you'll have to find a place where you can go to have that procedure done. So I don't mean to minimize that there are safety there's certainly safety implications for people who are seeking out care on their own, but the types of care that they're seeking out, that's changed uh, over the last couple of decades. And this also, once again, kind of state to state, but I've seen a lot of people worried about if a woman has a miscarriage and if you're in a state that is really policing this, it could lead to some awful situations where you're questioned about a tragedy that has devastated you and treated like a, a criminal. And I don't think I'm exaggerating too much here. So I think there's real concern that um, it's very hard to tell the difference between 
uh, a miscarriage and the aftercare needed if there are any complications from, let's say, a medication abortion. And the that's that's one of the things that one might expect from criminalization, that banning abortion chills the delivery of services that uh, could be swept in, even though they're not part of abortion bans, but um, could be thought of as potential liability uh, if, if those lines aren't clear. And, and miscarriage is one potential example. Um, it's also the case, so in Texas, for instance, with SBA, which has essentially shut down abortion services for the last many months, uh, misoprostol is the second drug in a medication abortion. Um, but it's also a drug that treats ulcers. And it's also a drug that aids in uh, miscarriage management and when there's pregnancy loss. And it's clear from the information collected in Texas post SBA that pharmacists are hesitant to prescribe misoprostol even for miscarriage management for the theory that they're going to be targeted for uh, aiding and abetting an abortion outside of state law. ERs have been and providers have been hesitant to treat if they're not certain that there is, you know, that the pregnancy is ended. You know, there's been really disturbing reports of, uh, you know, how how much does your health or life have to be threatened? Um, how much is a pregnancy, you know, does the pregnancy, uh, does pregnancy loss, if you know that uh, you have an ectopic pregnancy, uh, the, the pregnancy is not going to survive, there will be no child that results, when can you take measures to end, to terminate that pregnancy that will not be viable? There, there are a whole host of definitional and and other questions that that will crop up in these months and years to come. We're going to take a quick pause here, but we'll be right back in a minute with more from the KYW News Radio in-depth interview with Rachel Rebuchet. I'm Sabrina and we're back with an interview we're borrowing from KYW News Radio in-depth with Rachel Rebuchet at Temple University's Beasley School of Law about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. Here's Matt Leon again. As we're talking, the day that Roe versus Wade is overturned, it comes the day after a very significant gun case out of New York. And I am not a lawyer, but just as a layman, it seems to me that in overturning a more than 100-year-old law, the Supreme Court said basically the state can't do this because of the Second Amendment. And in overturning the Roe v. Wade, they say, in one, they're sending it to the states, and the other one, they're saying the states don't have the right to put these laws in. It just seems like it's kind of almost making it up as they go along, depending upon the subject. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but that's as a layman, that's what it feels like. I, you know, I think that that there are just the kind of constitutional interpretation employed in Dobbs embraces a type of originalism that, you know, a, a, a view of what the text of the Constitution provides and what the history of abortion regulation has been, that the same justices writing in the gun case don't see as relevant to the interpretation of the Second Amendment. They, I, I bet if you ask them, they, they'd say it's apples and oranges. But just taking a step back, uh, you know, as you say, uh, these judgments seem pretty stark in comparison but they highlight the different 
the different ways in which this type of constitutional interpretation is employed for the Second Amendment versus the 14th. What does this mean for women in this area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware? Where are we with abortion law uh, in these in our area? Uh, New Jersey has been pretty proactive in its stance on passing legislation that protects abortion rights and uh, talking about what it will do to try to protect providers and patients, particularly those who travel to New Jersey for care from other states. Pennsylvania has, I think, you know, I think we'll have to see. Pennsylvania, I think of as one of those states that hasn't uh, passed a trigger law that will, you know, essentially a law that tries that 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 would ban abortion, you know, with the attorney general certification or 30 days after Dobbs, uh, the kind of law I mentioned in Missouri. Um, but I don't I don't know if, you know, Pennsylvania has a whole host of abortion restrictions on the books. And it, it's not clear to me that those are going to be repealed Um there, you know, so I think that Pennsylvania is a really interesting state, and um, I think some of it depends on who sits in the governor's seat, who's signing laws into into effect. I think we'll know a lot more in the coming months. There's a lot of concern that the overturning of Roe versus Wade could also lead to other rights being taken away, specifically the right to contraception, same-sex marriage. And it's interesting, I believe, in the majority opinion, Justice Alito kind of works hard to say this is strictly abortion. Don't look to it to tell anything about any other rights. And then in a concurrence, Clarence Thomas is like, oh, we should revisit X, Y and Z. What is your level of concern about other rights being chopped away here over time using this as uh, kind of a, a roadmap for that. I think that Justice Alito, you know, does at various points in the opinion, you know, take pains to to say that the majority's opinion applies to abortion, that abortion is different from other rights, that abortion is, um, at the constitutional protection for abortion was also different than other constitutional protections. Uh, that he's not talking about other uh, other cases decided under the 14th Amendment. But I think, as you know, Justice Thomas's concurrence makes plain that the type of reasoning employed by Alito, um, Justice Alito, that uh, about what the history and text of the Constitution demands could be arguments applied to other rights decided under the 14th, like contraception, uh, like uh, marriage. The, the suite of uh, rights that pertain to intimacy, relationships, family, and, and, and the like. So, you know, I'm, I guess I wouldn't take uh, the majority opinions disclaimer about what, what the opinion says about other 14th Amendment rights on its face, because as we know, opinions get interpreted over time, and it's not at all clear the next time the court revisits the issue of substantive due process, what it will say. And my final question, we don't know what the next few months, years are going to look like with regards to how this is going to play out. But the anti-abortion group, I can't imagine they're not going to stop pushing. And I think we've already seen some rumblings of, you know, a, a national abortion ban. Do you expect, you know, that side to keep pushing in that direction? 
I, you know, I think that there has been a lot of talk, there's been a lot of conversation uh, from people who do not support abortion about a national ban. I think you see states contemplating whether or not their abortion policies can extend outside of their state borders. Um, I think there are a lot of problems with that approach. There are constitutional impediments to those laws with extraterritorial reach being upheld by courts, but it's really unclear. It's a very unclear area of law. And so courts could disagree. So I think they're, you know, I think we're already seeing the seeds of, uh, of state action that's not just about banning abortion in Missouri, but banning abortion everywhere. Thanks to Matt Leon and Rachel Rebuchet for filling us in. We'll have links to follow them and read more in the show notes. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.